following is a free podcast from postwrestlingcafe.com where $6 a month gets you access to all of our G1 Climax 32 post-show coverage throughout July as well. Rewind away, rewind to SmackDown every Friday, talking about Rampage and WWE SmackDown, and also our MCU later reviews coming up this Monday. We'll be talking about Thor Love and Thunder, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, exclusively for all Post Wrestling Cafe patrons. So bonus shows very, very frequently here at postwrestlingcafe.com. And welcome, everybody, to... The very, very start of post wrestling's New Japan Pro Wrestling G1 Climax 32 post show coverage. And uh, my name is Waiting. I'm here. John Pollock is off on his vacation starting this week. So he will be back. He will be tagging in at some point uh, next week for G1 coverage. But in his place, we have a, an incredible roster of very knowledgeable people, people who know way more than I do about all of this professional wrestling stuff. And among them, I'm very happy to welcome on this very first show, Karen Peterson. Hey, Karen Sensei, what's up? Hey, Wei, how's it going? A real pleasure to have you uh, on these shows, of course. You know, you're one of the most knowledgeable minds I I, I know personally that we have access to. So I'm looking forward to getting some of your thoughts on uh, G1 Climax so far. Um, You, of course, were a part of the preview show that we did on tuesday so if you want to if you're completely you know out of the out of touch with with new japan i recommend you maybe pause this one go back to the daily news update on tuesday and listen to that uh but here we are karen day one what, what what's been your interest level um let's say coming out of uh the first edition oh well as we were talking off air the g1 is always a sentimental favorite for me because of the g1 was when i first started watching new japan back in 2017 so it, it, it kind of always brings me back to that and that feeling when I first started watching New Japan. Uh, I think the new format is going to take a little bit of getting used to because with it having fewer uh, league matches during the show and a whole bunch of undercard stuff, it kind of feels like every other tour. That was my first takeaway is that I, I, did, I did watch the whole show today. Um, as much as I love the, the t- preview tags, I kind of liked when they got away from that because I felt like it gave some of the roster more chance to rest. But I guess they need to build the storylines, especially because they've brought in so many new people this year and bring, brought back some people after a very extended period. Mm-hmm. And you're 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 speaking of like prior years where it was purely block matches. Yeah, especially during the pandemic where it was just like eight singles matches and maybe like mm-hmm. a young lion match and that was it. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get to it right away. And before we do, though, uh, I want to remind everybody we're going to be streaming these on video as well. Not live, but uh, in uh, archive form. So if you look in the show descriptions, you can, if you choose to instead of watch us, give our uh, reactions to a Yano match, for instance. Uh, you can do that in the link below. But we are going to be going through the block matches in particular. But I will go through the undercard matches, especially since you watch them, Karen. If there are any highlights, please just let us know. In the undercard, we have Tom Lawler debuting in New Japan, Japan proper, where he defeated Kosei Fujita in the opening match. Jonah and Bad Dude Tito defeated Ryohei Oiwa and Toriano. The House of Darkness defeated Finley and Tamatanga and Jado. Bullet Club's Kenta, Juice Robinson, and Fale. And Chase Owens defeated Suzuki Gun's Taka, Taichi, Zack Sabre Jr., and Lance Archer. And Chaos's Chaos is Tomohiro Ishii, Yoshihashi, and uh, Hiroki Goto defeated LIJ's Naito Bushi and Shingo. Uh, any highlights from any of those matches that you care to let us know about? 
Honestly, the opening match between Fujita and Lawler really got me amped up. And I'm not just saying that because Lawler finally, finally, after two years of being like one of the faces and pillars of New Japan Strong, made his Japan debut with New Japan. His finisher is called the NKOTB. And I hmm. tweeted out this morning, very hopeful, as being like, hey, is this a new kids on the block reference? And he replied with, you've got the right stuff. So I'm like, you know what? <laughs> it, it might be my new favorite favorite finisher, even though it's just like a knee to the back of the head. But you know what? I'm all right with it. Um, most of the undercard tags, it was just like kind of like welcoming back a lot of people. But after the Bullet Club and Suzuki-gun match... Zach and Kenta kind of were digging back. They were, they were, Zach was getting on Kenta and staying in his face. You know, they're shooting their mouths off because that's what the two of them do. And they're, they're two of the best at what they do. But it gave me like old school Noah vibes when, you know, Zach was a young boy and Noah and Kenta was like the top star. So their matchup is probably the one I'm looking forward to the most in the next round of, of uh, matchups. Mm, very cool uh so uh also a reminder everybody like what we like to do is you know at the end of recording some of these i, I like to just kind of you know take maybe um a joint joint opinion about what might be recommended between the two hosts that are going to host these and i will highlight them within the show descriptions themselves so if you're ever just you know curious to check out what what we what we might rec- recommend but you don't really want to listen to the podcast yet just just look at the show descriptions and just basically you can see what's highlighted i also want to give a shout out to mark buckley and bruce lord who are making reports on the site right now they will also have spoiler free recommendations as part of their reports as well so all that out of the way, let's get into these block matches. We have four of them to get to, and we start things off with the C block here with Aaron Hanare of the United Empire taking on Hiroshi Tanahashi. This is this is a huge, I would say, uh, tournament and a huge moment for Aaron Hanare, one of the, the debutantes of this year's G1. Uh, there's a lot, I think, riding on his performance in this on, you know, a very, very big stage for him. Hiroshi Tanahashi, on the other hand, is making his... 21st appearance in the G1? Yes. <laughs> Consecutive appearance. His G1 appearances are uh, a college graduate. Okay? Like, t- take that into perspective. Like, that is... <laughs> that's a lifetime spent in the G1 alone, not even including the rest of his career. And the man somehow is still holding up um, and delivering some of the best matches that that I'm sure we'll see in this tournament. So, uh, do, do, you know, any any history between the two, Karen, that maybe you, you'd like to, you know, inform the audience of? Well, the interesting thing is that, you know, Hanari used to be in Hontai. So, you know, one of the, learn, the, the learning trees he was under when he was in Hontai was Tanahashi until he, you know, defected to the uh, United Empire and was one of the ones who turned on Tanahashi. God bless Tanahashi. Too many, he's too trusting and too many people turn on him. <laughs> but, you know, after six years of clawing and scraping his way through New Japan, he's finally made his debut. And honestly, his ma- him debuting in the G1 against Tanahashi, of all people, that says a lot about what the company may have in store and, what they, and how highly they think of Hanari at this point, especially mm-hmm. with, you know, the wild success of United Empire. Mm-hmm. So in the match, Hanare controls the action early on. I wouldn't say there was a ton of interesting offense to speak of, but he does make his first attempt at his finisher, which is, or at least his prelude to his finisher, which is a full Nelson named Ultima. Uh, Tanahashi fights out with a sling, sling blade. Then he gets on a big run that ends with a high fly flow, but Hanare gets his knees up. Hanare then finally locks in the Ultima. 
he lets go and then goes for his other finish, which is a fisherman buster named Streets of Rage. Tanahashi fights out big back heel kick from Hanare as he goes for Streets of Rage again. He hits it, and Aaron Hanare defeats Hiroshi Tanahashi. 11 minutes, 11 seconds, our first major upset here in the G1. You know, maybe poised to be potentially the biggest upset in the G1 in our very first match here. What do you think about the match? It's one of those things where, you know, every year Tanahashi drops a big loss, like an upset loss to someone. But in dropping that loss, it's it's kind of his way of putting over someone else because he's been in the G1 for 21 years. <laughs> he he's been, he's won the G1. He's been the champion multiple times. He's not one that at this stage in his career who needs to win the G1. I mean, you know, of course, the Tanahashi faithful will be like, how dare you? But I'm like, oh, hello, I'm one of the Tanahashi faithful. And I, you know, I want him to start thinking about the future of the company beyond him. Um he bul- Hanari has bulked up a lot mm-hmm. recently because I don't remember him being that beefy. I remember him being a lot more leaner and cut even a few months ago when I saw him in Chicago. Um, I think this was a great uh, way for him to kick off his G1. I hope it is not the only w- win that he gets. I hope that he, you know, wins at least two or three more. I mean, four to six points would be a good solid first G1 for Hanari. Um, I, I enjoyed the match. I feel like, I don't know if it was nerves or it's just, you know, Hanari's tr- trying to learn how to work with the added bulk on his on his frame right now. But it wasn't as fast as I remember. Like, he didn't move as fast as he usually does. But it was still, I enjoyed the match very much. Tanahashi, you know, he he, he does too many, he goes up to, he goes up high too many times. And, you know, after one high five flow, if he doesn't close the book on it, his arrogance gets the best of him. And that's when he loses. <laughs> I'd be lying if I said, like, I, I, I too was maybe looking for a bit more from Hanare, considering maybe the stakes involved here, considering that it was ta- Tanahashi, and considering the fact that he was about to get a win on Tanahashi. I don't know if he did all that much to stand out for me. You know, nothing that about his offense or maybe any sort of particular charisma or fire about his performance in this match that made me feel like he was, you know, poised to be one of the, the standouts in the tournament. Um, I, I have no issues with like Tanahashi taking a loss, especially this early on. One of the interesting things I think about this new format for, uh, that I've heard from a lot of people is they don't know if like, you know, you can book these sort of losing streaks anymore when guys only have six, six matches. I believe they like, there's some sort of threshold of I, I, like, cal- the, once the math comes in here, like it's, it's going to be really interesting to see like, you know, exactly how, how many losses people can actually suffer before they're out of contention early on. Um, but I, I'm not entirely sold on Hanare just yet, you know, with that, at least this performance. So I'm hoping we get a bit more from him. Tanahashi is always, I think is just great to watch struggle out of any sort of submissions. And, you know, even something as basic as a full Nelson, like just to see his performance, just screaming and full of fire. I'm, I'm convinced he can make like a handshake, you know, look, look like a painful submission. So. Excruciating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but overall, I give this one a medium one cream, one sugar. Yes. The uh, coffee ratings are back and I have informed Miss Karen Peterson. Are you a coffee drinker, Karen? I mainline coffee. That is my caffeine of choice. My liquid caffeine of choice. Uh, I'll do a tea if I have to, but you know, with waking up as early as it is for these shows and for my day job, it's usually the venti drive through with like, at least a pound of sugar on top. 
<laughs> oh, okay. So you're a Starbucks person. So you you might be going venti. Well, feel free to to interpret the coffee ratings however you would like. But how would you rate this match, Karen? I think I I may have gone a little easy because I've never actually full disclosure. This is my very first time I'm actually doing rate like star style ratings of any kind of wrestling. Mm. So I may have been a little a little generous, maybe a little heavy pour as a barista. <laughs> um, I gave it a large with a uh, a dash of cinnamon and a dash of cayenne pepper because you know it's it's i i like the bougie coffee so you're gonna get karen's bougie readings i'm sorry they're gonna be fancy coffees not just cream and sugar i can get that at the diner we, um, we, we more than welcome that i think this is our first cinnamon and a dash of cayenne pepper cayenne pepper appeared. Wow. So it's one of it's one of those things where I'm a sucker for really nice ring gear. So yeah. I think the ring gear and the makeovers and the make unders that some people have done during this tournament are going to play into that. I love the new gear for Hanare. And the color scheme carries on through all of United Empire, which I think is really cool because they look very cohesive. Mm-hmm. I am a little sad that they got away from the green and gold because it made them stand out as a unit. Um they look too much like Bullet Club now because it's black and silver, and that's usually black and white is what Bullet Club does. I wish they would have picked a different color scheme, but that's neither here nor there. Um, but yeah, I, I might be a little more generous with some of my ratings just because I've never done them before. Um, but I want, I hope that from here on out, Hanari finds a better balance for charisma because he is a very charismatic person. He's a very like you know passionate wrestler. It's just not translating just yet. Mm. Our second block match of the night goes to D-Block and Will Ospreay, the United Empire's leader, taking on El Fantasmo. So we have uh, United Empire versus Bullet Club here. Uh, any any history between these two that you maybe like to educate our audience about, Karen? If I remember correctly, Will Ospreay actually recruited, was part of the recruiting process of ELP from Brit Wrestling to come over. Um, I believe they had a heated rivalry in RevPro where currently... Will Ospreay is the undisputed British heavyweight champion. Um, they, you know, they they go back to he invited an ELP and ELP did what Robbie Eagles did when he first joined. He went to Bullet Club instead of joining Osprey. Um, but honestly, they're so evenly matched in styles, the costuming that I'm actually glad they're not in the same faction at mm. all. Um mm. I think this particular matchup for ELP was a good one to start him in his first G1 because he's fighting a familiar opponent, someone who used to be in Super Juniors with him. So it, it kind of it, it's kind of like like helping him not like carry him through the match, but help him wade into the G1 waters, as it were, from the junior heavyweight division. Even though he did fight open weight and heavyweight when he was in the UK. So the match starts, and ELP asks the crowd, "How Sapporo?" G1, um, you know, mate, like I almost got a sense he was almost kind of taking the moment in here a little bit. This is, you know, his first big debut in like the most prestigious heavyweight tournament in wrestling, but also I'm sure a bit of a readjustment, you know, after wrestling at Forbidden Door and uh, uh, taking a month off at least, you know, from uh, New Japan Pro Wrestling in Japan. So in our first minute here, uh, immediately the high flying begins. Osprey attacks with the Sasuke special. He follows up with the phenomenal forearm that gets a two count. ELP regains control with some more acrobatics and then a big tope suicide to the floor, following with a top rope acai moonsault. More back and forth, they get into a forearm striking exchange. Both of them are trying to rile the crowd up with each strike. 
It's followed by a very fast sequence of counters with a stun dog millionaire from Osprey and then an inverted Spanish fly from the top rope from ELP. Osprey then lands a Kobashi-style orange crush bomb for two. He avoids the thunder kiss. ELP avoids the os cutter, hits the sudden death for a two count. Osprey goes to the os cutter again, but it's met with a beautiful counter into a backslide from ELP for a two count. Osprey kicks out and is immediately, and he immediately responds by striking ELP with a front-facing hidden blade for the win at 15 minutes and six seconds. Your thoughts, Karen? Uh, well, you know, I do love a good Super Juniors match. <laughs> Uh, I feel like while it was a great match, very solid, very fast paced, very, you know, technical, I've seen it. I've seen it before. I've seen it in the on, on UK shows. I've seen it in a New Japan ring. It, it There wasn't any one particular thing that felt f- like I hadn't seen before out of both of them because they do so much. Um, the one thing I did notice is that ELP, even though he is like supposed to be more heelish than Osprey, he kind of played more of a babyface role because he was appealing to the crowd a whole lot more. But of course, you can't appeal to you. You can appeal to a crowd that can't respond to you. But it kind of, I think he's been in working in the states not too much, but just enough where it's it's he has to remember that they can't say anything, they can't cheer his name, they can't boo him. It's back to clapping for now until at least September. Hmm. I will say for me, you know, like not watching really any New Japan uh, other than like Dominion, like stepping back and forth between like, you know, um, loud crowds in the US, which we've had for quite a while now and back to Japan. It wasn't as big of an adjustment for me watching as I thought it would be like I, I found I got used to it, like, you know, within a match or two. So, um, you know, but but if, if you're a performer, I can imagine it being maybe a bit more of a trans uh, transition. Uh, so, you know, I. I didn't because I'm not as familiar, perhaps, with like some of their prior work other than what I've seen in New Japan. I didn't really sort of have that same um, reaction. I, I, I really enjoyed it. It was like the type of fast action I think you would expect from these two of a very similar style with like I always look at ELP like at least, you know, in, in contrast to Will Ospreay, like ELP might be like the Wario version of Will Ospreay. <laughs> Like he's got a similar or had a similar build. I, I will say at least, you know, yeah. like he, he's a guy who could very much do the same acrobatics, but just a little bit less finesse and a lot more sleaziness about him. <laughs> so I, I thought they had some pretty fun sequences here. You know, for me, the highlight being the os cutter counter into the backslide. Yeah. Um, but still maybe like, you know, as an earlier match, didn't necessarily hit those high moments to the point where I would consider it memorable. So I did go large though. I went large, one cream, one sugar for this one. How about you? Well, see, this is this is where even though I I said that I've already seen it all before, this is where my heavy pour comes in. I made it an extra large with whipped cream because it's kind of like a basic bitch latte. <laughs> um, it it was refreshing to see someone, another junior. I don't know if he's planning on staying in the heavyweight division, but again. Much like Hanari pairing with Tanahashi, Osprey was the perfect foil for him for this match, even though he didn't win it. In our B block match of the night, we have Jay White taking on Sonata. White, of course, is the current IWGP champion. Sonata is, uh, well, he's coming off a, a big mess of a situation with that U.S. championship, uh, which he had to drop back in February due to an orbital fracture. Uh, unfortunately, was un- uh, unsuccessful in his uh, attempt to try to win it back from Osprey at Dominion. And like I think you and John had t- discussed, you know, it feels like somebody who's coming into this G1 with perhaps a, a bit less buzz than prior years. I I want the best for Sonata. I truly do. I don't know if 
he said that this was going to be his year. He's going to make up for the rest of the, the, the first half of the year by, you know, winning the second half of the year. And well, here we are. <laughs> I'm I'm still hope I'm still cautiously optimistic, but I just don't know anymore. I don't know if New Japan cares about Sonata as much as everybody else cares about Sonata. The match starts with White trying to stall by getting Sonata, getting a Sonata chant going around the ring. I, I mean, this was not so much playing to the crowd as much as it was, I think, him mocking the crowd, I would say, or teasing them for not being able to make noise. So they're fighting on the floor. Uh, White, you know, attacks Sonata's throat onto the barricade. He controls then by targeting Sonata's midsection throughout the match. Shots to the kidney are delivered. Sonata then comes back with a low drop kick, and we get our first paradise lock of the tournament. Sonata locks in the skull end. Gato distracts the ref, which allows White to low blow him. Then we have like a pretty interesting moment here where White attacks Sonata with a European uppercut. And as Sonata is taking his back bump off of the uppercut, his foot rises and inadvertently low blows White. Now, I say inadvertently because I don't think in character, like Sonata meant a low blow, of course. He was a he's a he's a baby face. I also question though, like whether or not this was intended to be the spot or if it was some improvisation. But anyway, White sells this low blow. He tries to convince Red Shoes to DQ him. As White complains, Sonata follows up and misses a moonsault, then gets a schoolboy while White is distracted for two before hitting a TKO for two. And then they get into their finishing sequence with a wonderful series con- uh, containing Skull End and Blade Runner attempts and counters. The Skull End is locked in. White reaches for and grabs Sonata's eye. And Charlton is quick to point out about Sonata's orbital fracture injury, of course. White then walks up the ropes to flip over Brett Piper style. And he hits the Blade Runner for the victory in 18 minutes and 7 seconds. Your thoughts on the match, Karen? Uh, it it was, you know, I t- tend to get very, very unfairly tough on Jay Wade at times because I feel like he can, like Osprey can be very formulaic at times. But what I liked about this match is that Jay managed to minima- minimize the involvement of Ghetto, even though you could hear him screaming at ringside the entire time. My my biggest thing about Jay White is that I want him to always, I want him to win cleanly so he can gloat more. I don't like it when Ghetto gets too involved because then Ghetto starts to feel like training wheels or a crutch for Jay and Jay doesn't need it. He has all the skills. He has all the tools. Uh, the, the paradise luck oh, was so incredibly satisfying. <laughs> it was one of those things where I don't know if, if Jay has lean, like gotten very, very lean in the last two years or if a lot of the other wrestlers have bulked up, it, but he's a lot, not smaller, but like, He's, compact that i remember <laughs> lee might be a good good way to describe it because the man is cut oh yeah okay? no, no. Like, like i don't know how much on him i don't know how much like he might have gained some muscle too but like he's def- definitely like not eating much rice or, or bread these no, days no no sir you can so, see those ribs or, hey, he, or those those abs i should say he yeah. looks great i was just mm-hmm. like i was like i'm like but i don't remember jay white being that that thin hmm. <laughs> I, re- I remember him being like like cut but not like I don't know if it was just like the, the angles that Sonata was twisting his, his, Jay's body or what, but I was just like, don't break <laughs> him. We just got him back. <laughs> uh, the skull end where he had Jay folded like a rainbow was mm. absolutely fantastic. Um, I That was the only point I was okay with Ghetto getting involved. 
I feel like Sonata fell into some of the, the typical heel tactics where he was like get, opening the rope for him and like stepping out to yell at Ghetto. And you know, if you put one leg over the rope, you're already in peril. Um, but yeah, their match was great. It was it was probably one of my more favorite Jay White matches, largely because it was mostly about Jay and his opponent, not so much Jay Ghetto and his opponent. Hmm. I really enjoyed the last few moments of this. You know, in particular, I thought there were some really creative and well-executed yes. Skull and Blade Runner counter sequences. Um, I don't know how, like, it, that that Phantom low blow thing, I, I don't know if it was intentional or not. If it was, like, what was your interpretation of it, Karen? Did you have any the, thoughts? The thing is that when Sonata takes a back bump sometimes, he kind of does that where he, prop, not, not, he doesn't prop his feet up, but it's more like he bends his knees. So... Honestly, it was too dead center on Jay for me to think it was a mistake. Right. But, you know, they both lead into it. So I was like, oh, I, I don't know what's going on. And Jay's like, you need to end this match now. And like, I love when Jay gets very, like, he gets mm. it, like, starts screaming and demanding things that are exceptionally unrealistic, especially when he's champion. Um, I think it. If it was planned, they did it great. If it wasn't planned, they played it off fine. Didn't work so well for me, I'll be honest, Karen. But like, you know, I, I and it's hard to tell whether or not it connected with the crowd, of course, because they can't make any noise. Can't say um, but you know, that that would have ultimately been the barometer. But I personally just maybe got a little bit lost and and was wondering, well, what exactly is happening here? But um, you know, if it worked for you, I can totally understand why. I completely agree with Jay White's cocky personality. I think it's only gotten stronger since the pandemic. And in every match I've seen him, like recently, uh, for like, you know, a year plus now, I think his charisma is really on full display. And it's the type of thing where I wondered, like, you know, in front of like a, um, like a Japanese crowd, uh, or an American crowd, like, well, do they translate differently? And it works. I would say everywhere. Like, you know, we've seen yeah. him on AWTV and I think he's connecting really well with, with American yes. audiences. So, um, Sonata, I, I, I don't know if I was any more excited about him after this match. Um, I think he's solid and fantastic in ring as always, but I, there's just nothing new to me about his game nor yeah. his intensity. Um, and, I feel like I've just kind of seen what I have to see from Sonata. Whereas yeah. like, you know, I see evolutions in, in a Jay white. I see even like, you know, in a, in a, in a Jeff Cobb or like, you know, there's so many other people to get excited by that. I, I just don't, you know, no, don't feel that same excitement from Sonata just yet. So I'm hoping to see some level of reinvention. I think a, a G one would be a great way to do it, but I don't know if I will. I, I just I I don't want to say that the ship has sailed on Sonata, but since they've they they always bring the story that usually if someone drops their first loss, that's when they're going to start recovering it faster and get their way to the finals. But they've done that with Sonata so many times that I just don't have the confidence to be like, no, he's he he'll be fine. I I can't say that he'll be fine. I don't I just don't think I think that that this alone might actually ruin the whole G one for him. Large one cream one sugar for me. What about you, Karen? Well. Now that I think about it, I might be changing my ring because I had it as as an extra large, but I'm going to drop it down to a large with some sprinkles and some whipped cream. The, the sprinkles and whipped cream, I, I feel I feel like that would cost more than the extra large. 
uh, something tells me Karen, but uh, <laughs> I, I don't, I've never had sprinkles in a coffee. See, you need, you, you'd have to get one of the fancy schmancy, like $8, like <laughs> lattes to get to that, to that tier. Um, I, I think I get the sprinkles are just because I'm a softy for Sonata and I, I hate the fact that he bleached, he's grown out the beard and bleached it again. I wish he would have kept it short, <laughs> but yeah, uh, that's I, where I'm I, at right now. A bit, a bit of a um, blonde in in your a blonde rose, perhaps you know. Yeah. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> a block match. Our main event of the day is Okada versus Jeff Cobb. Okada is no longer the IWGP champion, but he is the defending G1 winner. Uh, I believe these two are three and one in their series going into this, uh, with Cobb recently beating him in September at Wrestle Grand Slam last year. Cobb has his knee taped up. This was an injury that uh, dates as far back as Wrestle Kingdom earlier this year. He controls the match early. Okada comes back. He hit the flatjack. And then there's a moment where he's pointing to Red Shoes, a spot in the middle of the ring where a board has popped up. And you can see a little bulge right in the middle of the canvas there. So Okada locks in the money clip to stall while Red Shoes stomps this board back into place. And then even, you know, Okada even takes the fight to the floor, which resulted in him hitting a DDT to Cobb on the outside. I thought Kevin Kelly on commentary did a great job covering. By the way, what do you listen to? Uh, do you listen to Japanese or, or English commentary? Uh, to, usually I listen to the English commentary. Mm. So, you know, I thought Kevin Kelly did a great job here covering for these two. He was basically, you know, explain, justifying this by saying Okada could have taken advantage of the broken board, but he chose not to because he realized Cobb could just as easy, easily reverse and attack him with it. So I thought that helped uh, smooth things over. Back in, Cobb hits an avalanche gut wrench suplex and then a standing moonsault for, for two. Okada comes back and he attempts to tombstone Cobb Cobb easily reverses, and he hits a tombstone to Okada. Cobb then keeps the hold and attempts a second tombstone, but this time Okada actually counters with his own uh, a very impressive and scary physical feat to see somebody lift Jeff Cobb in a tombstone position the size of Okada. Rainmaker pose. Cobb counters with his own lariat, which Charlton calls the Aloha Maker. Okada attempts another, but Cobb counters with a headbutt. A uh, very simple and very creative counter to the Rainmaker. Tour of the Islands is countered by an Okada and Zagiri. And then the Clover Flosion, his tribute to Strong Style and King's Road. And then the Rainmaker gives Kazuchika Okada the win at 21 minutes and 30 seconds. Thoughts on the match? So I had to watch this match at two times speed to make sure that I had all of it watched before we recorded. <laughs> so... Apologies to Chris Charlton and to Kevin Kelly, but their chipmunk voices are absolutely adorable, especially when <laughs> Kevin is screaming, it's unfair. It's unfair what Jeff Cobb can do, but it's like, it's unfair. It's unfair what Jeff Cobb can do. Like it was, it really made me laugh, but it, you know, the match is not a laughing matter. It was a great match. I, I love Jeff Cobb. I love everything that he does. I'm worried that this loss to Okada will keep him from advancing beyond the A block. I feel hmm. like last year was their chance to pull the trigger on Jeff and they didn't. I don't know if it's, they're going to do the same thing this year or they might actually, based on wins and losses, make Jeff be the one to advance instead of Okada. I don't know. Um, one of money clip is fine. There was a little too much money clipping going on during this match. I would have loved to have seen Heavy Rain or Red Ink. I would have loved to have seen something else from Okada. Besides all the money clips. Um, but that being said, hard hitting match. It, 
I Jeff and Okada can go. I could watch more of it. I'm glad it went just as long as it did, that it didn't go unnecessarily too long. But and the air that Okada got when Jeff threw him like over his head. I was like, I don't I don't know how he can get men in the air that high and then still just like run into a standing moonsault because he can. It's it's mm. not fair. <laughs> I thought uh, Cobb's, you know, athleticism, you know, continues to stand out here. Um, he he was very entertaining in his control of Okada. Um, I still feel like I'm missing something from him personality-wise, maybe charisma-wise, that's keeping me from considering him like a champion-level act at the moment. Yeah, but that's it's been great. It's been great to see like his comfort just continue to increase uh, in New Japan and, and as part of the United Empire. Uh, I really enjoyed the match. You know, I've been I feel like I've I've been pretty vocal about my distaste for these Okada main events recently, but this did not have that usual drag for me. And I think going only twenty one minutes instead of the usual thirty plus really helped that. I also thought the dynamic of having Okada go against a larger opponent also really helped his like underdog struggle really coming through in some of those later moments, especially, especially when he's, you know, doing things like trying to lift somebody as big as Jeff Cobb into very difficult positions. I I think the struggle is, is, it really comes through. Uh, And this is of course the big boy block where you have guys like Lance Archer and Jonah in there. And so you can expect to see a lot in there too, isn't he? Folly as well. Yes. (laughs) So you can expect to see a lot more of this type of, Okada throughout, which I'm quite excited for. Okada versus the Giants. I went XL for this one, Karen. What about you? Uh, as did I. And you'll be glad to know that it also includes a little bit of coconut cream topping and some crushed macadamia nuts. Wow, you're really expanding the uh, the, the 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 palette here. Of, uh, I will of have the, a men- a full menu for the cafe by the by the uh, the end of August. Okay, interesting. I you know I I just thought uh, milk, sugar, cream. <laughs> I didn't know you could put macadamia in in a coffee. Interesting. I, I say that as I'm trying for the very first time Coca Cola with coffee. Coca Cola. That in- it's bilingual with like co- with avec cafe. Well, that is the law here in Canada, of course. But yeah, in the store recently, I saw Coca Cola with coffee. They're selling coffee infused Coca Cola, and uh, pretty much just kind of tastes like Coke. Like, but you know, with a hint of coffee flavor, I don't think I'll be getting it again. Um, it, it also tastes very like aspartame, so oh sure, no, that's not I'm a good flavor. Sh- I'm sure this is way worse for me than either Coke or coffee by itself, but it was, it is worth what, a shot. What's the caffeine level in it? Is, is it listed on there? I don't think so. Um, I don't think so, but uh, it is uh, 18 grams in sugar. Oh, god. Um, <laughs> In zero percent of anything else, so I I don't know what that tells you. I'm sure I'm full of chemicals. Anyway, Karen, that is the G1. <laughs> that is the first day of the G1. Uh, your thoughts on the card overall? I enjoyed it. the The undercard was a bit. It's a bit mindless fl- fluff, but you know, it got to introduce some new people. It got to introduce, um, you know, uh, Bad Dude Tito. They brought over uh, Royce. I think it's Royce Isaacs mm-hmm. with a uh, Tom Team Waller. Filthy. And, you know, they brought back, you know, the long awaited returns of Kenta and Archer. So it was it was a good way to bring like not bring everybody up to speed, but make it feel like a homecoming for certain people that hadn't been around to include everybody on the first day. 
Uh, and as part of the G1 coverage, of course, we always have our man Chris Angler updating the standings. So if you have entered the G1 contest, you could find all that information. I'll be updating it all at postwrestling.com slash G1 or just simply at postwrestling.com. Uh, but here, let's get to some of these results. And, uh, you know, not really worth kind of talking about the uh, standings just yet because, of course, um, well, we only have four winners and they are Kazuchika Okada leading A block, Jay White leading B block. Uh, Aaron Hanare leading C block and Will Ospreay leading D block. But the all important post wrestling standings. Um, let's start off here with our E block standings consisting of this year's post wrestling contributor entries. Uh, among them, we have to add Karen here. Karen, by the way, like um, Karen is in Chris. If you're listening to this, she's just under a different name. What, 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 was, what was the name you entered? I believe it's uh, K Senpai. I, I decided not to go as Karen Sensei in case I did exceptionally poorly <laughs> in the rankings. Because as much as I talk a big game about, you know, wanting to be E-Block champion, I am absolute garbage when it comes to, like, predicting. Because I predicted my heart, not with stats or popularity, so... When it comes to the G1, though, and, and the way, like, like you you have just as good of a chance as anybody. Like, somebody who doesn't know any of uh, anything about any of this, I think, has a decent chance as well, as you will find out here. Because in the post-wrestling family E-block standings this year, tied for last place, we have Davey Portman, Eric Marcotte, W.H. Park, who accurately predicted two out of four today. And then in second place, we have a big traffic jam involving Bruce Lord, John Pollock, who for the very first time has entered the post-wrestling uh, pool, John Ceno, Jordan Goodman, Wei Ting, and RandoBot2000, Karen, who, which is um, exactly as described, uh, a script that <laughs> randomly predicts matches. So you have as good of a chance as anyone, anyone uh, really. Actually, you can update that. I will be dead last because the only pick I got right was Osprey. So okay. <laughs> I am your 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 bottom of the E block. Well, listen, uh, you know, <laughs> getting getting to the bottom is just as impressive as getting to the to the top when it comes to stuff like I'm, this. Oh man, yeah, hey, it's day I do, one. I do Japan coverage. I promise you. <laughs> It's day one here, so anything can change. But at the very top right now, getting a four out of four perfect card, Brad the Archivist sits atop the E-block standings. Uh, in our actual post-wrestling contest po- point standings here, people, a lot of you guys got perfect scores. And among them, 919-Fet-Falcoholic, Andy Price, Anthony Ray, B-Branch, Brandon from Oshawa, Brandon Durant, Corey James, Don B, Eric from Cork, Insomnia Hotel, Kendall, our man Neil, Got four out of four. Parker Smith, Patrick B, Reggie Simmons, Tom, and Tory Baby, two thousand and five. Okay, so congratulations to you guys, and uh, yeah, all you guys got perfect scores. So yeah, scroll scroll down yeah. to the ones because that's probably where I'm at. <laughs> <laughs> I you know I I I almost wish um I mean no I'm glad come on there's the Karen I, I guarantee you will do pretty well. As far as upsets go today, um, pretty much, uh, you know, no, the biggest one, of course, being Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Aaron Hanare, with only twelve percent of people guessing that one accurately. Everything else has pretty much been, uh, you know, somewhat uh, either favorites or, in the case of Okada versus Cobb, uh, pretty split even. So, thank you again, Chris Angler, for uh, updating these for us. He will be following the tournament along with all of us at postwrestling.com/g1. Um, 
Karen Peterson, thank you for being a part of this. We will see you again uh, as part of G1 coverage uh, coming up in a few days or a few weeks time, I should say. Uh, you are uh, uh, going to be available mainly on weekends here. So we will be talking to you, I think, in, in a few weeks. Um, where can people find more of your work? And, of course, the Dream Slam report. Uh, well, you can find most of my writing work over at postwrestling.com. You can just look up Karen Peterson and you'll find all everything I do. Uh, mainly, I will do stardom coverage for the big shows. My next big show will be end of the month, 30th and 31st, the opening of the Five Star Grand Prix. And on the 31st, I will be recording with John for the next batch of G1 Climax for my my uh coverage there on the podcast uh dream slam weekly comes out every single saturday the latest volume volume 12 is now available if you for your reading pleasure um i always love to hear what people have to say and what people think and if i've missed anything just let me know she does tremendous work across uh, all her platforms uh including a number of recent interviews that you've done for you. uh for uh various uh, uh publishers that are out there so do follow hey karen sensei across twitter and instagram uh, and tw- and Twitch as well. I am. Karen? Yeah, I'm on Twitch. I'll be there tonight. Okay. Fantastic! Very exciting. Okay, uh, so there's that. I feel like I should also mention that uh, New Japan is actually putting these episodes up for free on New Japan World for uh, today and Sunday. So if you choose to watch these shows after listening to this, you can at least watch these first couple episodes for free at njpwworld.com. Joining me tomorrow for our post-show will be WH Park. And I have a feeling, Karen, that um, the the coffees uh, may get a little bit tinier. Um, <laughs> WH is behind the counter. Yeah, the, 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 uh, the portions might be a little bit smaller, but there will be a lot of victory laps. Around oh, around the cafe because you know oh, he loves to say on your left. Yes, he does. Yes, he does. So <laughs> uh, thank you, Karen. And guys, join me tomorrow with WH Park. And then uh, also the BWE 24 hour stream is currently going on still. Uh, they're probably on by the time you're listening to this hour, I don't know, eight out of like 24. So still plenty of time to listen to that. Um, I will be a part of it. Karen was a part of it already. And uh, do donate to the uh, Children's Heart Surgery Fund if you do listen. So can can I make a quick update? Yes, they broke their donation barrier. They cleared one thousand pound. So amazing! I'm so happy for them, and they've only been like a like you know less than a half a day into it. Time to lift that goal. I mean, I think that goal is way too small. Seriously. So. We'll see if we can get get it up to, you know, five, maybe more than that uh, by the end of the 24 hours. So, yeah, open those hearts and those wallets if you have the means. <laughs> That's it. You can follow me at Way0937. I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Bye bye. <laughs>